You are listening to the ARB podcast. Tune in as you stir yourself up by filling your ears with the anointed messages of faith as you strengthen your spirit at any time of day. And we'll see you on the other side of faith. Tonight's going to be a great night. It's going to be a great night. Hallelujah. Anyway, before we go into the main service, as we do every night, I'm going to teach on seed time and harvest. I don't know if you've been enjoying this teaching on seed time and harvest. I love it so much because it's got so much to do with your Christian walk, more than what people realize it to be. And you can meet my people in my ministry and my staff and everybody. You can ask them. I bless their socks off. None of them can ever complain that I I don't take care of them. I go over and above to take care of everybody. We sow, we give. I mean, we've, we've, we've gone overboard. But let me tell you this. Seed time and harvest is actually a very, it's, it's, a, it's a heart matter, really. Because a lot of people don't understand that your giving is actually connected to your heart. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Whatever you love the most is where your heart is. So when you are giving, what happens is you're consistently making that confession to God, saying that my heart is not on the things that you give me, but my heart is on you. Because I don't know anybody who gives to anybody that they don't like. Are you listening to me? I've never seen that. And I don't do that myself. It is what it is. But let me tell you this. The entire body of Christ has a wrong idea of giving in seed time and harvest. They come into a service and they put money into the offering, not realizing what they're really doing. And the reason a lot of preachers do not preach on seed time and harvest, although they follow the principle secretly, enjoy the blessing secretly, okay, but they will never teach the people the truth because they're afraid of criticism. Are you listening to me? And those kinds of people should not be allowed on the pulpit. Because if you run your ministry because of the criticism of people, then you're doing everything wrong in the first place. I don't care what people think about me. As you can tell the past couple of nights. (laughs) If it hasn't been very obvious... uh, But the reason I teach that is because I I love bringing people out of the place that they are in, into a place of abundance. I get joy out of seeing people prosper. Those who like it will enjoy it. And those who don't like the message will not enjoy it. It's as simple as that. And let me tell you one thing that I've noticed over the years of my ministry. Anyone who criticizes the message of prosperity, anyone who criticizes the message of giving and seed time and harvest, they're broke. They, do, they don't do one thing for the kingdom of God. They would have never won a single soul to Christ. I'm telling you. And, the, and that's the truth, whether, whether, whether people like it or not. But a giver is a person who's winning souls, who loves the people, and you cannot live a life that you say you're a Christian and not be a giver. 
Because our entire Christian walk actually began with that scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave. If it wasn't for his love, which prompted an action, then we would not be here today. But let me tell you this. Confession is such an important thing. And people don't realize what confession, how confession works. A lot of people think confession is like a mantra or a chant. You understand what I'm saying? Like they, first, they take a scripture and they chant it like 10 times a day. And they expect a miracle. What do you think? This is Hinduism? That's not how confession works. I know people have confessed for like six years, seven years, eight years, and never got their miracle. I'm confessing for my miracle. Really, where's your miracle? Because nobody has really taught people how confession really works. Confession is not about saying it with your mouth. It's believing it with your heart and confessing it with your mouth. You understand? People just, they're like parrots. Just because of, imagine this. You give a scripture to a parrot. The parrot repeats it all day long. Do you think the parrot is anointed? It's got nothing to do with that. Oh, but why is he talking about confession? It's got nothing to do with giving. It's got everything to do with giving. I'm going to show you what I mean by that. Now, you have to understand something about confession. It's not that a lot of people say, oh, you know, I confessed, I confessed, and I confessed, then I finally got my miracle. That's not how it actually works. What confession actually does is it builds your faith to receive that miracle that you're waiting for. And let me explain this in a very simple way. Everybody has been given a measure of faith. How many of you know that? Now, when you're given a measure of faith, your level of faith, imagine, is here. The miracle that you need is here. When you confess believing it in your heart, the level of your faith increases every single day. And when it comes to the point where it reaches the level of your faith, then your miracle is released at that level. But a lot of people think, oh, I'm just chanting it a few times, it's, it's going to happen. That's not how it works. You've got to believe in what you're saying. You build your faith by that. So, oh, why, so why should we give every single night? Because you're confessing. Every time you're giving, you're actually confessing and you're saying, God, my trust is not on mammon, my trust is on you. Every time you put something in the offering, you're saying, my trust is not on this, my trust is on you. And the more you say it while you believe it in your heart and you confess it with your actions, it starts to become a reality in your life. And then when it becomes a reality, what happens is God releases the blessing. He opens up the windows of heaven. He pours you out a blessing where you have no room to store it. But it starts with confession. And once it comes to a point of becoming a reality to you, you will never lack as long as you will live. The reason I am not broke and have never been broke is because I believe in what I preach. I follow what I preach. You can walk up to any of my people who are here today and they'll tell you that I'm a giver. You won't be able to come to one of my staff and say, oh, how is he with the, with the finances? He'll be like, he's the craziest giver you'll ever meet. Because I live that life. I know where my help comes from. It comes from Him. 
It doesn't come from the money. These earthly things that you think have value have actually no value. People give money value. Money is just a tool. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's just a tool. Oh, money is evil. No, money is not evil. Imagine taking a knife. A knife in the hand of a serial killer is horrible. A knife in the hand of a chef is great. So it's got nothing to do with the tool. It's got nothing to do with the person who wields it. So again, at the end of the day, it comes back to who God can trust with the wealth to wield it correctly. But that trust will only come into position when he can trust you with it and sees it with his own eyes. He sees that confession of your faith. But till he sees that your, that your heart, money has no hold over your heart, he cannot bless you. That's why you give till you feel like it has no hold over your life. There is nothing that God can point in my life and say, I want this or this that I won't give up for him right now. Not one thing. And that's why as a ministry, we've never lacked. We've been, we, you will not find a single place where we have a GoFundMe account. And say, oh, please, you know, here's, here's our GoFundMe. We need, need $50,000. And somebody sends you like $10 and then $15. And before you know it, it's not even 1% full. And you're just like, how do... I hate GoFundMe accounts. They don't do anything. If your help comes from the Lord, it's a much quicker work. But unfortunately, people don't understand that. But today, I'm trying to teach you something. As I get, get to a few things tonight, it's going to help you understand what giving actually does to you. And when you start giving, it'll start opening up things for you that you never thought was possible. I liked something that somebody gave me. <laughs> I saw this in the back in the green room. Somebody gave me their produce, which I thought was great. The Bible talks about first fruit of all your increase. It comes to the house of the Lord. So for me, that was a great gift because it took me back to India. When I go to a lot of places in India, the people come around, give me bags of rice and whatever they can find. And for me, you know, that's the best that they have. Now, let me quickly read a scripture to you. Open with me Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 26. We'll read verse 1. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And the Lord appeared to him and said to him, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. Now God places a promise upon Isaac and says, Don't leave the land that you are in. I will bless you in this land, and I will prosper you. So God put a promise on Isaac and made a covenant with Isaac saying that I'm going to bless you. How many of you know God is a God of covenants? His word remains true. When he says it, when it comes out of his mouth, it will happen. And God promised Isaac saying, I will bless you in this land. In the middle of a famine. Let me tell you this, the world might be going through a famine right now. But as the people of God, when we carry a promise upon our lives, 
It doesn't matter what happens around us in the world. It is not supposed to touch us. For the Bible says a thousand have fallen on our sight, a ten thousand are at right hand, it shall not come near us. We don't live by the economy of the world. We live by the economy of heaven. Heaven never runs out of money. It's not like one day, you know, you're praying and you're on your knees like, Lord, I need a new car. And uh, suddenly Jesus is all stressed out. And the angels in heaven go up to Jesus like, what happened, Jesus, are you okay? He's like, yeah, you know. He's asking me for a car, but I just gave Ankith a car a few days ago. And heaven just ran out of money. And uh, I'll bless you with a car. Just, just wait a few weeks till heaven replenishes all its money. And then I'll bless you. Heaven has an unlimited supply. If God can bless me, he can bless you. It's in fact in this middle of the so-called famine, this whole pandemic that's been blown, blown out of proportion. Lockdowns, shutdowns, whatever. Let me tell you, this year has been the greatest year that we've had in the ministry and in business. While everyone was, you know, freaking out about fuel prices going up, I was excited about it. I was like, praise the Lord, because as, as the guy who sells fuel, for me it's a great thing. Everyone else is whining about fuel. Oh my gosh, the, the prices are going up. It's so expensive these days. And meanwhile, I'm here like, thank you, Lord. Let it continue to go up every single day. The real question is, which side do you want to live on? Do you want to live on that side where everyone's complaining and whining about it? Or do you want to live on the other side <laughs> where you're actually prospering? God gave a promise to Isaac and said, I will bless you in this land. Say it with me, in this, in this land. In this land. Do you know a lot of people are fleeing California and going to different places to settle down? They're, bring, they're coming down to Florida. Well, you bless you. You guys can come around to Florida, but don't come around and bring your liberal agenda with you. You know, I can't stand that stuff. But anyway, people coming down to Florida. And why do you think people are fleeing California? Because of lockdowns, because of the lack and the famine that, that's hit the land. But let me tell you this, for the people sitting here tonight and the people watching me tonight, I want to tell you this. The Lord will bless you in this, in this land. You don't have to leave this land to be blessed. You know, what, you know what they're doing? They stored up all this stuff. And now they're leaving it all behind. And fleeing in panic. And guess what happens? The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. And the people sitting here tonight, if you are under the promise of God, then the Lord will enable you to take possession of everything that is left behind in this place. And the Lord is not going to take you out of California and bless you somewhere else. He will bless you in this land. 
In this land you will prosper. In this land you will have an overflow. In this land the Lord is going to bless you. How is this going to happen? Well, that's why I'm here. I'm here to teach you. Okay, I got no response. I'm leaving. All right. Let's continue reading. I love this scripture so much. He says, dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For you and your descendants, I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Now, here's what I love so much about this. God puts a promise upon Isaac, and Isaac is there in that land. And then the Bible doesn't say Isaac sat down and did nothing. How many of you say God gave you a promise? And why do you think a lot of people have promises, but they end up, never end up happening? So are you saying God's a liar? Then why isn't it happening? It's because we're doing something wrong. <clears throat> I always tell my people, I say, if, if you ever find out that I died out of a sickness or whatever, don't you dare blame God for it. Because if I died out of sickness, it's not because God didn't heal me. It's because I didn't have the faith enough to get out of it. His word is true and remains true. It doesn't change. But it all depends on whether you have the faith to hold on to and receive what has been given or not. And then I love this. The Bible doesn't say that Isaac sat down and he waited for the Lord to bless him. The Bible doesn't say that. The blessing came and here's what Isaac did. And this is why I like Isaac. Verse 12. I want you to read this. Look, look at your Bible, please. Then Isaac. Say with me. Then Isaac. Again, then Isaac. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. My question to you. The king of the Philistine comes around to Isaac and says, you're, you're too great for us, you have to leave. Imagine prospering so much. To such an extent that a king starts feeling threatened by you. Imagine you prospering so much that the governor starts getting threatened by you. Are you listening to me? Prosperity actually comes into the hands of the people that God can trust. So that he can shake those areas that need to be shaken. To bring the fear of the name of the Lord on the Gentiles. To put fear in the heart of the Philistines who do not serve our God. So prosperity 
actually brings the fear of the Lord upon the people. And a lot of people don't understand that truth. And that's what they, are. they think being broke is okay. It's not okay. You're never going to step out of something until you know you, something is wrong with you in the first place. If you live in denial, faith is not living in denial. Hello? I said faith is not living in denial. Faith is knowing the reality, but knowing God's word is true. And breaking through that and stepping into the promise of God. Faith brings into existence the things that are not seen. Faith sees things that are not as though they are. But it still sees that, it still sees that some things are not. But then from that place, you don't stay there. You look at what is about to come. And you take the steps according to, accordingly to get where God wants you to get. And God does not want you to be broke. When God gave a promise to Isaac saying, I will bless you, Isaac actually got up from his easy chair, took some seed, and went and sowed it in that land of famine. My question to you, have you ever seen a dry and parched land that's hit by famine? The land is cracked and parched and there's nothing there. So that means if you sow a seed in that ground, there's nothing that's going to grow out of it. So a famine means there's no water. You understand what I'm saying? When there's no water, the ground does not have the capacity to grow anything. But Isaac had so much faith knowing if God promised me, then whatever I put my hand into shall prosper. So understanding that God is behind him, he did the craziest thing. He takes seed and starts sowing it into a land that had no capacity to grow anything whatsoever. He sowed and he sowed and he sowed. Imagine the Philistines looking at this old man walking around and sowing. He probably looked like a complete idiot. Look at that stupid idiot. Look, 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 at, the guy. look at that guy. He knows nothing about farming. <laughs> Parts, dry land, and he's sowing into that. What an idiot. What looks like foolishness the world is faith to the people of God. That's why you don't operate in that realm of the world. You operate in, the, in that realm of faith. Faith looks at the dry, parched ground and is not moved by it. That means your giving can never be moved by the situation that you are dealing with. Your giving has got nothing to do with the surrounding of where you are or where you live. It doesn't matter where you live. The Word of God works everywhere. You just have to follow the principles of Christ Jesus. The, follow the principles of the Word of God. It will always work wherever you go. It doesn't matter which land you sow into. But let me tell you this. You can't ha say you have faith and not take action. Oh, I have faith that God will bless me, but I'm not going to give. Good for you. Enjoy your poverty. But I don't understand how all this works. You don't need to understand. You just got to do it. I love what, what a man of God said, Smith Wigglesworth. 
He said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. A lot of people ask me, why, why do you do things a certain way? I'm like, I don't know. The Bible says do it that way, so I just do it. There's no complicated process to it. The Bible says if you have, if you have faith the size of mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So I, I believe I can move a literal mountain. My question is, how literal is your faith? How much do you believe God that he's going to do something for you? In this land, this dry and parched land, God can still give, give you the blessings of the Gentiles till you overflow so much that you have no place to store it that the liberals and the crazy people out there will look at you and be like, how the heck is he so blessed and why are we broke? Let me tell you this. If the government can give their people stimulus checks, how much more our Heavenly Father will take care of us? If you earthly parents being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more the Heavenly Father? And it doesn't get more evil than the government. If the government does that, you bet that God is going to do that for His people. The Bible says Isaac sowed in that land. In that same year, he received a hundredfold. <laughs> you know what a hundredfold even means? It basically means if you sowed a seed of $1,000, it's not okay for you to expect anything less than 100000 <laughs> You get what I mean? And that's how the kingdom works, seed time and harvest. But now you might ask me, well, I want to get there, but how do I get there? I'm going to tell you how, how to get there. And if you understand what I'm about to teach you now, this is just introduction. I'm getting to the main part of the message now. First, I got to show you what you look, look, you're looking forward to. And then actually teach you how to get there. That's what a teacher actually does. Now, and I'm, I'm going to read this scripture to you. And I'm telling you, it's going to, man, tonight's going to be off the chain. John chapter 2. Do you know who taught the first Message of seed time and harvest in the New Testament. Jesus' mother. What do I mean by that? Let me show you. John chapter 2. This is going to be the secret of your prosperity. If you grab a hold of what I am saying tonight, even by the time July comes around, you will have so much prosperity coming and overtaking you. You will be giving every day. And you will get blessed every day. And you will not run out even for a single moment. And everyone around you will be jealous of your blessing. And they will come around to you and ask you why and how you're blessed. But you will say, not by my might, not by my power, but by His Spirit alone. You know why God loves prospering his people? 
If somebody came around to me today and said, why are you blessed and prosperous? You know what my answer is? I actually don't know. All I know is I follow the word of God and things happen. I don't have to know how it works. I just have to believe what, what it says. There are no seven tips to success. There's no such thing. It's got everything to do with your heart. If you keep your heart in the right place, I promise you, God will bless you. John chapter 2. We'll read from verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now let me tell you this. A lot of times, a lot of believers, when they go to God for help, they always bring to God their need. And they say, we have no wine. We have no this. We have no that. And Jesus responded to his own mother and saying, so what do you want me to do about it? As long as you stand looking at your lack and say, this is my lack. Look at my lack. Help my lack. You're never going to get anywhere. But when you get to a point where you're like, God, I'm going to stop talking about this. Instead, I'm going to start trusting you. That's when Christ is actually moved to bless you. If not, there's no blessing that's going to come your way. And that's what happened here. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever who says? He says. The secret to financial prosperity is do whatever he says. Whenever you do whatever he says, then you will get everything that you need. Stop throwing your need at God and saying, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. Instead, ask God, what should I do? You understand what I'm saying? People always go to God and say, oh, this is my problem. I have this issue. I have that. No, you have to go to God and be like, this is my, Lord, tell me what I need to do to sort myself out. What do I need to release from my hand to get the blessing that I'm supposed to get? And a lot of people never get to the point where they ask Christ, what do I do? What do you want me to tell me? Jesus' mother learned that lesson and said, do whatever he says. As long as you do whatever he says, things will start happening. Now, I want to do this. Get me all the offering buckets or whatever. Empty those things out. Put them up here in the front. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Which Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. 
Say it with me to the brim. When they had the water pots, funnily, we have actually six here. <laughs> Interesting. I did not plan that out. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. I, it's like... Now, under, now, pay attention to me when I say this. What did Jesus say? Fill the water pots. He never said, fill the water pots to the brim. Are you listening to me? They decided to fill it up, fill it up to the brim. Are you listening to me? The Lord can command you to give, but what you give to Him is entirely what He can multiply. He cannot multiply anything more than what you give him. And they fill it up to the brim. Imagine if they just filled it up half. They would, all they would have had is half. Imagine more than a little, more, a little more than half, and that's all they would have had. But thankfully, they were smart people. They were doing what Jesus said, asked them to do. And they filled those jars up to the brim. And I love this, man. I'm telling you, you get this. It's going to change your life. <laughs> now, read this. And they filled up to the brim, and he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, the servants who had drawn the water knew. Now, Pay attention to this. Now Jesus said, fill the water pots. So they took the water. What, what do they need? Wine. What do they give? Water. They took the water and they poured it in the jar to the brim. And it was filled all the way up to the brim. But it was still not turned into wine. Are you listening to me? It was still water. Then Jesus said, take a jar and take it to the master of the feast. It was still not wine. But as they went there to the master of the feast and they poured the water, it turned into wine. That means faith operates by action. It's not going to operate as long as you hold it in your hand and you sit down. You've got to get up, walk up to that place, and, add, and by faith you pour it in, that's when it turns into wine. Are you listening to me? And that goes with everything. Even if you look at the story of the woman, and you look at the story also of the five loaves and two fishes and everything, you will see a consistency there. Even with the multiplication of that, when it came into Jesus' hand, it was multiplied. Not before. So nothing ever gets multiplied while it's in your hands. It gets multiplied when it's given. And even when the Bible talks about it, about the widow and her son, and as they poured out the oil, the Bible says, the oil was multiplied. That means as long as they held on to the oil, nothing happened. When the man of God said, pour the oil, 
And when they poured it, it multiplied. So till you take something God has given you, and you pour it in, there's never a multiplication. The measure you use is, the, is what will be measured back to you. If you give half, that's all that's going to happen. But let me tell you, whatever he says to you, do it. I, I found this thing funny. I, I, had a, I was sitting with a pastor once, and I loved this man, man of God very much. I was sitting with him, and we were talking about giving. We love having conversations about giving. And he's a big-time giver. And we looked at each other, and we were talking about it. And he looks at me, and he says, you want to know something? I said, yeah. Now, people, when God speaks to them to give, they always have two different amounts that they need to sow. I said, what do you mean? There's always a smaller amount in their heart and the bigger amount in their heart. And he said to me, the smaller amount from, in their heart is not from God. It's a choice. You do this, you get this. You do this, you get that. Because he always puts a choice before people. Every single time, even in the Garden of Eden. The knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Everything God always puts free will and says, you do what you need to do. I've already put it in your heart of what you need to do. But you have to do what you have to do. Whether you fill it to the brim or you fill it halfway, that's completely up to you. And that will determine your blessing. So the kingdom of God always operates like that. So today I want you to know this. The Lord is about to pour you out a blessing to a point where you have no room to store that blessing. There's going to be such an increase upon so many of you tonight. I feel the anointing. Understand this. When it comes to giving, the ground that you sow it into is important too. You don't go give money everywhere. You can't scatter your seed. A focused seed produces a focused harvest. A scattered seed gives you a scattered harvest. Finally, I'm going to read the scripture, Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. And those who are taught the word must share all good things with their teacher. A sharing of wealth takes place between them. Make no mistake about it. God will never be mocked. For what you plant will always be the very thing you harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. Say with me. The harvest you reap. Reveals the seed you have planted. You know what that means? If you don't like what you have, take a look at what you gave. You can't come around and say, I sowed, but nothing, I only got this much back. Because he said, fill the water pots. He didn't tell you how much. If you don't like what, what you have, take a look at what you gave. Now continue reading. I love this. 
The harvest you reveals the seed that you planted. If you plant corrupt seeds of self-life in this natural, natural realm, you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption. If you plant the good seeds of spirit life, you will reap a beautiful fruits that, that, that grow from the everlasting life of the spirit. And don't allow yourself to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds. For the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you planted is coming. Take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to others, especially to our brothers and sisters in the family of faith. I want you to understand something. When God says, give, it's not to make you broke, it's to bless you and multiply it. It's like the story that my dad told me when I was a little boy. He said one day there was a little girl and her father walking down the garden. And the dad picked out a rose and gave it into her hand. And she took the rose in her hand. And the father looked at her and said, can you give it back to me, honey? And she plucked out a petal and gave it to her dad. <laughs> and he looked at her again and said, give me the rose, sweetheart. Took another petal and gave it to her dad. And he kept asking her over and over again. And she kept taking the petal and giving it to her dad. And before she knew it, the rose was bald and there was nothing on it. And the father finally held the child and said, Sweetheart, I asked you to give it to me so I can pull the thorns out of that rose and give it back to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? When God asks you to give something, it's to pull out those thorns that are on the inside of you that are stopping you from being blessed. And if you keep giving him petals every single time, before you know it, all you will have is a bald stem. So you've got to learn to trust God when he says, do this, do it. Don't question what he asks you to do. And let me tell you this, everything that comes in tonight is going to go into America. I don't want a single thing. Let me tell you, in fact, I'm, I'm blessing the church with the subwoofers and we're blessing this church in every way we can. We've actually helped rewire a lot of things and put things together and like, you know, you, would, like you wouldn't believe it. We spent so much money bringing all, the entire worship team down, my staff down. Like there's a whole bunch of people, almost what, how many 14 people on our team who flew down with us? And we never asked anybody to pay for anything. We're paying for our own hotels, our own flights, our own stay, everything. And that's how we do it. So whatever you sow tonight is going to go back into souls. I'm telling you. I don't even take a salary from the ministry. I have businesses that take care of me. I don't need to take a salary from the ministry. Are you listening to me? So tonight, whatever you sow, whatever he asks you to do, do it. Just say this with me. Whatever, whatever he asks me to do, I will do it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, even as you step forward from your seat, and walk towards this place to drop it in that bucket. Just as the water was turned into wine when it was poured, as you pour it out tonight, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. So tonight we're going to do that. I want people to come up here and get. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
as they did what you asked them to do, and as they filled it to the brim, I pray in the name of Jesus, you will turn their situation around in Jesus' mighty name. Everything that the devil tried to steal from them, I pray, O oh Lord, that you will release those blessings to come back in their lives in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that even now, the opportunities that ran away from them will come running back to them in the name of Jesus. There will be such a divine overflow. And I thank you, Lord, just like you said in your word, you will rebuke the devourer for, they, for their sake. So in the name of Jesus, anything and everything that has tried to devour their finances and their blessing, be rebuked now in Jesus' name. Overflow all the days of your life. You will never lack as long as you shall live. You will overflow mentally, physically, emotionally, in love, in joy, in peace, in prosperity. All the days of your life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you in Jesus' mighty name. Be blessed. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Do we have faith in the house tonight? I said, do we have faith in the house tonight? I feel the anointing come upon me tonight. Oh, hallelujah. How many of you have walked in here needing a miracle in your life? Show me your hands wherever you are. <clears throat> Tonight, whatever I tell you to do, do it. I'll say that again. Whatever I tell you to do tonight, do it. I'll say that again. Whatever I tell you to do tonight, do it. For my words don't come out of a mere man's mouth. For my words carry the weight of heaven upon it. And whatever I declare upon your life tonight is going to come to pass. Whatever healing you require in your body, you shall have. Tonight, I don't give you a choice but to be healed. Tonight, I don't give you a choice but to be blessed. I don't give you the choice because I love you too much. <laughs> Tonight, the anointing is going to hit you like a sledgehammer from heaven. You will feel it. For Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He changes not. His power does not change. The reason I stand here today all the way down in Coachella is because He loved you. That's why I'm here. That's the only reason I'm here. So I didn't come all the way here to preach about a dead Jesus Christ. To talk to you about a powerless Christianity with seven points and a nice illustrative sermon. The only illustrations that are going to happen tonight are the, miracle, the miracles of Christ Jesus. Whatever we read in the scripture, you will see before your eyes. Not just tonight, tomorrow night and every single night you're going to see miracles break out. 
Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. What a great friend. <laughs> he hears that his, his close friends are sick. I'm going to stay two more days and I'm going to wait it out. Anything and everything that you're dealing with tonight is not for your destruction. It's a, it can turn from a story of destruction to a story of faith and a testimony. Tonight is going to be a night of testimonies. What the devil meant for evil, God will turn it around for good. Your testimony will turn into the gospel for many people around you. Jesus waited two days. Then after this he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. And when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now here's something that you will always find funny. Whenever you are dealing with something... You will always find people who will always come around to have a pity party. And a lot of people love pity. They enjoy living. You know why a lot of people don't get healed? Because they don't realize it, but they enjoy pity. Oh, poor you. I'm so sorry that you're going. Yeah, I know. It's, it's so terrible. Eh? And that's why a lot of people don't get healed, because they don't want to get healed. I remember one day I was actually in a place called Moravian Falls in North Carolina and I was actually doing a tent crusade in Moravian Falls. And I walked up there to the service and I walked up to this lady who was on a wheelchair. And I grabbed a hold of her. And I said to her, lady, do you want to walk? She looks at me with a straight face and she says, no. I was like, I was taken aback. I'm like, I said, maybe she didn't understand what I was saying. I said, do you want to be healed tonight? She says, no. I said, why not? And she looks at me and she says, I have too many benefits to let go of. And I was like, 
I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Welcome to America. America has made you comfortable with the sicknesses you're dealing with, the issues that you're dealing with. And in fact, what you don't understand is the trap of the devil to keep you in the place that you are in so you continue to live dependent on the government. But that's not the will of God for you. God's will for your life is not to be dependent on the government. God's will for your life is to be healed, whole, healthy, strong, and prosperous all the days of your life. But people don't understand. It's a demonic thing to keep people trapped that way. And people in America don't understand that. And that's why they stay where they are. But let me tell you, the key to living in miracles or having a miracle is to say enough is enough. I don't want to live in this anymore. Nor do I want people's pity. I'm going to take everything that I have, every ounce of faith that I have, and I'm going to squeeze it till I get my miracle. The desperation that comes out of you is what breeds your miracle. You consider, oh, yeah, you know, I've been dealing with this for so many years, you know, it's like such a horrible thing, but, you know, I know I'm just going to walk through this thing. One day I will see God up in heaven, and all this will be over. You think God wants you to be healed and healthy when you get to heaven? God wants you to be healed and healthy now. People are like, oh, when I get to heaven, you know, I'll enjoy the goodness of God. No. The Bible doesn't say enjoy his goodness in the land of the dead. It says in the land of the living. The blessing of the Lord is not after you're dead. You start enjoying the blessing of God now. For the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power alive on the inside of you, quickening your mortal body. And unfortunately, a lot of people live that way. I have an uncle of mine. This is probably two months ago now. But he was in the Indian Army. And uh, he's one, he was one of, the, one of the captains or whatever post he was at. And he's, he's always had this headache throughout his life. Like a, you know, always had like a headache that came around once in a while. And he probably had it for like 15, 20 years plus. And it was just like a headache once a week or whatever. And it was fine. So one fine day, he says, you know what? I've been dealing this for so many years. I'm going to go and get it checked up. So he goes down to the, to the hospital to find out what's wrong with him. So they do an MRI, and, you know, they do all that nonsense on him. And uh, they found a tiny little tumor in his brain. He got so fearful that he died in four days. A lot of this whole COVID thing is based on fear. The media pumped you with fear day in and day out, night after night, day after day. The, way, the reason people manifest the way they do is not because it's their fault. It's because the media pushed the agenda. And unfortunately, the pastors and leaders ended up complying to that idea. 
I heard of some big names turning their churches into COVID vaccination centers. May the Lord deal with them for their disobedience to God. The vaccines actually have aborted fetuses in them, tissue in them. I'm telling you. I remember a couple of days ago when I was flying from, uh, from, from Texas down here to Florida. I mean, sorry, to California. And um, I remember I took the first flight from Florida to Texas and Texas to here. And um, to, from Dallas. So I was sitting in, sitting in the plane. Um, and I flew first class. I'm just putting it out there because I'm not, I'm not I'm trying to hide. Okay, You know, I'm, I actually flew first class because somebody paid for it. No, I paid for it because I could. I travel all the time. And I hate the seats that they cram you in. It's like it's made for a few midgets. But I was, anyway, look, I'm not going to apologize for my blessing. If I can live it, you can live it. We have the same Bible in our hands. The same word works for the both of us. Now, I'm sitting there with this guy in first class. This guy's sitting right next to me. He has the window seat. I have the aisle seat. And you have only two seats and, you know, whatever. So I'm sitting there. And uh, he looks at me. The first thing he says to me is, He's, you know, he looks at me and he says, so you're flying uh, first class? I said, yeah, I am. And he looks at me and he says, um, so did you get a free upgrade or something? I was like, I was like, no, I paid for it. He was a jerk. Anyway, it's fine. It doesn't bother me. I'm telling you, it, 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 I found it, I, I kind of like I smirked and I was like, well, no, I paid for it. So it's actually being very nice. So he's like, so what do you do? So obviously, if, if, you know, if I didn't get a free upgrade, then I must be doing something to actually be sitting there. So he looks at me and he says, so what do you do? And so I, I didn't want to tell him I was, a, I was a businessman as well. I just said, I'm a pastor. I preach. And he looked at me. He leaned over to me and he said, do you know what I do every year? I said, what do you do? <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, I fly down to some country, I, don't I think it's Mexico, or I don't know where, where it was, I don't remember right now, but he says to me, I fly down there every year, and I get the aborted fetus uh, stem cells injected into me, so that I can live longer. You know why he said that to me? To poke me. But you don't poke me. If, I, if you poke me, I smash you. The worst case scenario, they kick me out of the plane. It's fine. I'll believe for a private jet to fly everywhere. What do you think? What do you think? I, I, I serve a broke God who has nothing. Oh, you're on a no-fly list. Who cares? You can stick your plane. I'll go buy my own. Anyway. So I lean, over, I lean back over. He's sitting next to me like this. I lean over and I point at him. And I said, my friend, you are about to go to hell for what you're doing. Oh. 
he looked at me shocked. And he turned his face like this. And he sat in the flight for like the next couple of hours, quiet. And then as I was walking out of the flight, he comes up to me and says, can you pray for me? Let me tell you this. You have to have that fight on the inside of you. You need to carry that violent faith where you say enough is enough. Tonight I'm going to step out of this sickness. I'm going to step out of this issue. I'm going to step out and step into healing. Step into blessing. Step into prosperity. I'm never going to sit around and accept Never ever accept the suggestion of destruction that the devil brings against you. Oh, I'm going to destroy you. You watch how I crush you. I remember one particular day I woke up and, you know, we had this wedding to go to and I was actually conducting that wedding. And, uh, I actually went to see my mother, and uh, we, we were together, and she, she, she was all dressed, you know, she was looking beautiful, as she always does, and um, as she was suddenly walking down the stairs, and I was walking down with her, she went dizzy, and she started falling over, and I didn't realize what was happening, so I grabbed a hold of her like that, and suddenly I saw her face start drooping, and her entire left side just getting paralyzed. And she was losing consciousness. I'm like, Mom, are you okay? And, she, and I'm telling you, she, she had a, uh, a stroke. And then, you know, I, I basically took her, I rushed her to the hospital. I carried her down the stairs, I put her in my car, I went straight to the hospital. I put her in the emergency room, called everybody, and my staff, and they were, everybody were around. My dad came, and they were all there. And... Uh, Anyway, I went to conduct the wedding for this friend of mine, and I obviously didn't want to tell them that what was happening, because it would ru ruin their day, you know. So I wanted, to have, I wanted them to have a great day, so I was just quiet. I did the wedding, and then I, w I went back. And while I was on my way back to the hospital, they texted me and said, your mom might not make it. It doesn't look too great right now. <laughs> and I looked at the phone, and I said, LOL. That's what I replied. That's what I sent to them. I said, lol. And they replied and replied back and was like, what do you mean? Why are you laughing? It's not funny. I said, I, said, I think it's hilarious. And I went to the hospital, stood outside the emergency room. I stood there and I said, devil, are you going to play this game with me? I said, two can play this game. I promise you, if you touch my mother, You, I, I, I said, you poke me, bro. I'm going to deal with you. So I stood outside and I said, she's not going to die, but she's going to live. I walked into that ER. The, 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 the doctor was a friend of mine, so I went and laid hands. I said, in the name of Jesus. You know how I am. I'm not like, I'm not like, dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you heal my mother. I'm like, in the name of Jesus. I woke everybody in the hospital, you know. I prayed for her and I walked out. 
Let me tell you this. The doctor said she was not going to survive. And they said even if she did, she would still have a drooped face because she'll never recover from it. And I said, no, she's not. Guess what? She gets out of the hospital in a week. Completely healed. Completely restored. And not only that, let me tell you this. Here's what happened. She became so strong, her face looked completely normal. If you meet her today, you won't even know she ever had a stroke. And the doctors are still shocked of how she is the way she is. Let me tell you another thing. My dad, one day, similar situation, I get a text um, saying, I'm not feeling too well, can you come and see me? I said, yeah, so I, I went up to see him. And I look at him, and he's like, he's like, I have like this weird pain in my chest. And I said, what's going on? He's like, I don't know what's going on. He's like slowly passing out or whatever. So I grabbed him, put him in the car, and I took him straight to the hospital. They found out he had like a major heart attack and whatever. And uh, again, the doctors told me the same things, the same nonsense again. And I looked. <laughs> I said, devil, first my mom, now my dad. You must be really threatened by what I'm doing. I said, I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to go harder with this whole thing. And I'm telling you, again, same thing. My dad gets healed, strong, healthy, whole. What am I trying to say? You cannot accept the suggestion of destruction the devil brings across to you. The devil cannot actually hurt you or affect you. He starts with the situations around you and sees whether you accept that situation he waits till something negative comes out of your mouth. Because the devil doesn't have power till you give him power. Do you understand that? What faith is to God fears the devil. God gets access into your life because of faith. The devil gets access into your life because of fear. You believe with your heart, you confess with your mouth. And as that happens, what happens, a lot of people start speaking negative things. And when that starts happening, the devil gains power, a grip. Things start getting worse and worse and worse. Before you know it, takes them out. But that happens only if you accept it. If you say no, there's nothing you can do about it. And I don't mean, no, I remember, I'll tell you the story. I was, with fam I was with a family in Washington, D.C., uh, in Maryland, actually. And uh, they've been, you know, lifelong friends and whatever. And I was with them in their home, and I was standing with them, and basically we decided to go out for like a late night, uh, you know, binge, eat, eating binge, like we always do with the revival meetings. You know, we always have like late nights. We're up to like 2 a.m., like talking and eating. I mean, that's just revival meetings, you know. That's just how it goes. And um, anyway, so we're, it's late night, so we're like, okay, let's go get something to eat. And so he stands up and he says, oh, let's go. And he has like two beautiful kids, and he said, you know, we'll all go together. I said, yeah, that's fine. So, I, so we're walking out, and the wife stands up out of nowhere and grabs the husband and the kids, and, you know, uh, he get, grabs my hand, and I'm like, why is everybody grabbing each other? What the heck is going on here? And suddenly she starts praying. Oh, I thank you, Lord. As Mount of Turn, Jerusalem, the Lord surround me and keep me. May, may your face shine, blah, 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 blah. She goes on like hitting all these scriptures. 
And I'm like standing there, I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I'm just standing there like, okay. And I looked at her and I said, after the prayer, I said, I said why did you quote all, quote all those scriptures? She said, oh, because I want to make sure my family is protected at all times. And I asked her, I said, do you think that you chanting it the way you do is going to protect your family? I said, my question, did you confess those scriptures out of faith or fear? Confession doesn't work if, it, if it's done out of fear. Uh, I'm probably going to die, and that's why I'm going to confess this. So maybe, no. I said, is it out of faith or fear? She looked at me like shocked. She looked at me with, with like a very quiet voice and said, I'm, I'm scared that I lose my family. And I said, if you're fearful, then that's exactly what will happen. The Bible says what Job feared the most came upon him. What you fear is what will come upon you. And that's why tonight I'm here to tell you, there's nothing for you to be afraid of. If God is for you, who can be against you? Psalms 91. A thousand may fall at your side. A ten thousand, it shall not come near you. The Bible says you will only see the destruction of the wicked with thine own eyes. You will see their destruction, but it will never touch you. But people end up accepting that suggestion of destruction, which actually ends up destroying their lives. Tonight, your healing or your miracle has got everything to do with where your faith is at today. If you want to sit and enjoy that sickness, then you won't have that fight. I, when I, when I say people, tell people, test your bodies, do what you couldn't do. Nothing's ever going to happen to you. If I want something, I'm going to get it. When Jesus told that man, go to the pool of Siloam and wash your eyes, and you will see. What if he went to some other pool? Would he have been healed? God was specific where you go. When the prophet said, dip seven times, what if he dipped only six times? When the word of the Lord comes, learn to obey it exactly as it is said. And when you obey the word that comes out of a man of God, you shall have it. You know what the problem with American Christianity is? We're all equals. Let's all lay hands on each other. Um, no, I don't know what you carry. You're not laying hands on me. Laying hand, being laid hands on is actually a very important thing. People don't realize that. Oh, we're all equals. No, we're not. The one who served God, the ones who serve God, require double honor, the Bible says. There are many called, a few chosen. So let me tell you this. If there is no honor, there's no miracle. It went really quiet out here. Oh, okay, now. now I have to honor? Yeah, yeah you have to honor. Yeah. Miracles are not released without honor. Even when Jesus was in his own hometown, the Bible says they did not honor him. 
And the Bible says Jesus didn't do many miracles. It doesn't say he could not. It says he did not. There's a big difference between could not and did not. Could not is being unable to do it. Did not is I chose not to do it because they didn't honor me enough. If there is no honor in the room, the anointing is never released. Yeah, but, but people have misused that. Of course they have. People have misused everything. That doesn't change it from being true. People have misused the message of giving, but that doesn't make it, from not, make it false. When you honor the anointing that's up in, in the room, it releases something. Whether you realize it or not. Never, ever dishonor a man or woman of God. Ever. In our ministry, we have a rule. We do not dishonor anybody. Even, I mean, I'm telling you, some people have been total jerks. And we've been very polite to them. In fact, gone over and above and blessed them and sent them back. People have scammed us and we've actually blessed them and sent them back again. That's just how we are. We honor people. That's why we're blessed. Say amen. amen. Well, that's a very cold amen. amen. I like how the air got sucked out of the room. <laughs> oh, we came here to get what you have, but we weren't, we don't want, we're not willing to do what you're telling us to do. You know, that's the door right there. Nobody's keeping you here. You don't want your miracle. This is not some kind of a weird magic show that you've come to see a few tricks. Let's see what the best trick is today. Um, no. You've come here because you need a touch from heaven. You've come here because you need a miracle. I've not come here to perform. Feel the anointing come upon me. The anointing is priceless. Let's continue reading. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mar Mar Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again, the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Let me tell you this. Martha believed in the Jesus of yesterday. She said, oh, if you'd only been here a few days ago, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus said, he will live again. Yeah, he will live again at the resurrection of the last day. That means she was saying, I believe if you were here a few days ago, he'd have been healed. I believe in the Jesus of yesterday. I believe in the Jesus of tomorrow. I don't believe you now. 
Then Jesus answered and said, I am the resurrection and the life. God's name is I am. Not I was, not I will be. He's I am that I am. When you read in the Bible where it says, you know why he calls himself I am? Because he always is. For Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he does not change. His power is not dimmed over the years. Gabriel, I've been a little rusty with, uh, with healings and miracles. You know, um, can you just get me that manual of how to fix that knee? Let me go through page 35. Uh, oh, there, okay. He has not forgotten how to create or heal. You know what I love about the scripture? When God met Moses, and he said, what shall I say to them who sent me? I tell them, I am as sent, sent you. He is I am. <laughs> His power is in the present tense. Ooh, I feel that. For there is a fire shut up in my bones tonight. Those who need it and who want it, who are desperate for it, will receive it. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. People always use, Jesus wept. People say, oh, he wept because he loved Lazarus, Lazarus so much. Uh, no, he did not. That's not why he cried. Before he left, what was the thing he told the disciples? We're going to raise him from the dead. If he already knew he was raising him from the dead, he's not worried about raising him when he gets there. He was weeping, looking at the unbelief that surrounded him. The only thing that makes God's heart groan is unbelief. Thirty-seven, and some of some of them said, "Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying?" Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? He was asking, did you not hear what I said? I just told you I am the resurrection and the life.
41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because the people were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. He didn't say that to convince himself. Father, I know you hear me, that you always hear me. I'm just trying to convince myself that he hears me. No. He said, for thee, I said this for these people to know. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Tonight, I don't care how long your situation has been dead for. I don't care how long you have been sick for. For He is the resurrection. He is the life. Your situation is not dead. It's only sleeping. Today, as I lift the name of Jesus... And I lift the name above all names. Tonight I say to your dead situation. Come back to life. And what was dead will stand before you. And will st start speaking before you. The health that you thought that you lost will suddenly come back to life. Suddenly everything will start turning around. Suddenly you will see a healing in your body. Suddenly everything is going to change. You need to have that violent faith on the inside of you. I'm going to get what I want. For he is, I am. Tonight, I see him running right now. With his tail between his legs. Oh no, the people lost their fear. Oh no, what am I going to do? I can't hold them anymore. I can't hold them any longer. Tonight is the night of salvation. Tonight is the night of freedom. The devil will not hold you another day. He will not hold your body another day. He will not hold your family another day. Tonight his hands come off of you once and for all. Shake it off. Let the devil take it back. He can take his devices, his schemes with him. Go to hell where you came from.
and take that sickness with you. Tonight is your night. I'm going to ask you this question one more time. Do we have faith in the house? Yeah. I said, do you have faith in the house? You've been blessed by our podcast. Connect with us online at www.ankithrambabu.org for more information. Email us at partners at ankithrambabu.org to sponsor our meetings or crusades, enabling yourself to reap the same rewards.